Good morning. There's a lot of people out there. (laughs) And it's fewer probably this morning than normal. I am Forrest Thurman, and it is an honor to be able to speak to you this morning. I'm very much used to sitting in the pew and listening and critiquing and and sermons and uh, oftentimes riding home with my wife. I'll be like, did you hear what the pastor said? What do you think about that? So hopefully, if nothing else, I can create a little conversation on your drive home. (laughs) However, getting up and speaking and preparing to give a sermon does definitely give you a new perspective on uh, preaching. It it comes with a. There's a heaviness and a weight to it because you want to make sure you're speaking truth and you're following the the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Um, A a little bit more about myself. As a a child, I grew up on a a dairy farm. I know a few of you are familiar with uh, dairy farms. I remember when the first Sunday I showed showed up here, I was like, oh, everyone's a dairy farmer, apparently, at this church. And so I know a few of you are familiar with that. And I also attended a, a small country church. It was his name was Pleasant Ridge Baptist Church. It was just halfway between Archie and and Harrisonville out in the country. And honestly, I don't really remember a time in my life where church wasn't a prominent part of my life. My parents were very active in the church from Sunday school teachers teaching at vacation Bible school. My dad was a deacon, which would be similar to a elder within this church. So whether I wanted to go to church or not, I was drugged there. And I mean, without my parents, I probably wouldn't be up here speaking today. I mean, my parents also kind of taught me that church is not a spectator sport. You are an active participant. So, again, I always felt like I needed to try to be active within within the church. And I, I learned that from my parents and my parents are here today to support me, which is pretty cool. I first made a commitment to Christ at age nine. I was baptized on Easter Sunday. And uh, however, as I as I left the comforts of my parents home and at college, I started to kind of I started to have questions of, you know, is that really how it is? Is You know, I've been taught this my whole life. But is that is that how I want to live out my my life? And and ultimately, I came to those answered some of those tough questions and made a kind of renewed my commitment to Christ in my my college years. Also, while in college, I met my wife, Katie, met her at the Baptist Student Union, which is a place kind of like a college youth group to to a degree. But I mean, in a lot of ways, it was a college dating service. (laughs) It was a great place to meet, you know, single Christian ladies. Wow. Um, while I was at it, the college was is Warrensburg, UCM. At the time, it was CMSU. And uh, we got married. And since then, we've had four children right there poking each other and squirming in the pew. If you didn't know, me and Katie, my wife, are both teachers. She is an art teacher at Harrisonville High School. And I am a physical education teacher at East Lynn. I've also taught social studies in the past, and and I do have a passion for history. But that being said, you might think, oh, he's a teacher. He should have no problem getting in front of a crowd and speaking. Teacher and preacher are not the same thing. They may rhyme, but they're not the same thing. Most of my day is spent saying, stop that. Don't do that. Why did you do that? 
Get your finger out of your nose. And I hope not to have that problem today. If I do, however, I'll be a teacher and I'll see you after the sermon. We are going to be looking at Philippians chapter two. If you guys remember, Dwayne led us through Philippians chapter one two weeks ago. And and, uh, Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church of, of Philippi. And he wrote it for a few different reasons. I mean, partly as a thank you for their their support to him. I mean, it was a letter of encouragement. And he was also addressing a few issues that were going on in the church. And some of those issues are not are still around today. I'm going to start by reading the uh, verses one through four. Um, Chapter two, verse one. And I'm reading out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. In, the, in this section, Paul's giving us some advice how to live out our daily lives. He, he kind of starts here with a conditional statement. If. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if you've experienced any comfort from his love or any fellowship together in the spirit or any affection, sympathy, compassion. He's saying if you've experienced these things in Christ, then if these qualities are present, then you are to be of what? One mind. Paul knows if you are in Christ and the bodies in Christ, these qualities are going to be present. So he, he more or less is making his audience reflect on things Christ is doing and has done for them. And then he's reminding them to be of one mind. And and Paul shows us what it looks like to be of one mind. He gives, he tells us when you're of one mind, you're doing nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. You're in humility. You're counting others more significant than yourself. That's a pretty tough one. You really think about it. I mean, Paul's literally telling us, you know, that person sitting next to you is more important to you. And go even a little further, because most of you are sitting by people you love. That person on the other side of the church building is more important to you. And that person out in the streets is more important to you. You are to consider them as more important than yourself. And then Paul also goes on to say, not only look at your own interests, but that of others. I'm now going to be looking at verses uh Five through eleven. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, even in heaven and on earth and under the and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory 
of God the Father. So Paul tells us what it looks like to be of one mind, and then he shows us the mindset we're supposed to have. That is of Christ Jesus. And he gives us the example of Christ Jesus. If we look at verse 6, when I first looked at this verse, I was like, oh, boy, what am I going to say about that? And, and, and he, he says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped. And, I, you know, I did a little research and, was, you know, you read lots of commentaries when you're going to preach and you listen to lots of other people preach on it. And the one thing Paul is not saying here is that Jesus is not equal to God. God, Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. But Jesus didn't, although he had all the access and privilege and power and divinity of God, he didn't use that to his advantage. He didn't exploit the privilege and power that he had over his creation. Jesus considered his deity an opportunity to serve and be obedient to God the Father. Instead, of using all he had been given to his own advantage. He used it for others. He used it for those who had nothing. He ultimately used it for you and me. He had all the authority and power available to him, and he used it to channel, uh, to, used it to channel of giving rather than a conduit for getting. His focus was not on being served, but upon serving others. In other words, Jesus did not hold on to his rights as God. He was not looking out for himself, but for others. He surrendered his rights for you and me. He gave up his privileges in order to come as a man and suffer a death we deserve. And what does this mean for us? Well, it means in our daily life, we need to be willing to give up our rights for the sake of others. Now look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, he, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He emptied himself. He literally poured himself out. He made himself nothing. He made himself insignificant. How did he do it? He took on the form of what? It says right there, a servant. He's, he, he willingly left the splendor of heaven for the smell of a stable. And I know when I picture heaven, I do not picture a dairy barn. I mean, I think of heaven, dairy barn is nowhere near what I'm thinking of heaven as. And he, he left heaven for a stable. He left the company of angels for the company of sinful men. This is the heart of what it means to follow Christ, I think. It means to lose our life to save it. It means to empty ourselves in order to be filled with him and have a passion for those around us. In reality, this goes against our fallen nature. We are not interested in emptying ourselves. We all want to be a somebody, not a nobody. It runs contrary to our culture. Ultimately, being a servant means becoming less so others can become more. Um, verse 8. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. 
I don't know if we completely grasped the depth of that statement to understand the intensity of what God is telling us here. He who made all men and knew the hearts of men who had the authority over men humbled himself and allowed himself to be executed by men. I mean, just kind of think about the statement that Christ is, uh, the scripture is telling us here. He humbled himself. Jesus was obedient even to the death on the cross in which death on the cross it was in that culture. And then that time period was the lowest of low, the most shameful way to go. So that is a huge, huge statement. And I think that what we can take from from it is servanthood means being obedient no matter the cost. No matter what the cost is, we are to be servants. That's a pretty tough pill to swallow so far. Paul's laying out the, the standard here of what it looks like to be in one mind and what it is to follow Christ. And it's not easy. It's tough. It's a standard I don't think we can live up to without the Holy Spirit. But verses 9 through 11 does give us some hope and a promise. Verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So because Jesus was obedient, because he humbled himself, because he was willing to pay the price. God exalted him. The father gave him the name which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess he is Lord. I think what we can take from that is God rewards humble, obedient service. In uh, Matthew twenty three eleven, Jesus says, The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be, be exalted. James four ten, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. I think the principle here is God rewards those who are humble, obedient servants. Well, that, does that mean you're going to be rewarded in this lifetime? I don't know. Maybe. But will you be rewarded? I think it's a promise from God. As, as I wrap up my first sermon, I, I'm not going to finish the whole, the whole chapter. Uh, if you want to on your own, that's up to you. But as I, as I wrap up my first sermon, I, I hope that I, I spoke clearly and my points were made. I hope that I conveyed that we as a church body are to be unified in Christ and have Christ's attitude of service. That is an attitude of, of uh, just having the attitude of a servant. There's the four points I really kind of hoped I conveyed are these. Being a servant means giving your, up your rights for others. Being a servant means becoming less so others can become more. Servanthood means being obedient whatever the cost, and servanthood will be rewarded. Thank you. It is nerve-wracking being up here in front of people as a, my legs are shaking. It's, it is nervous, and I don't know why you get in front of people and your, your brain shuts off. I will, first thing I'll ask Katie is, what did I say? Because I won't remember. But uh, I'll... I'll I'll close with prayer, and then I think Emily is going to come up. 
Father, thank you for this opportunity and just thank you for giving me the opportunity, Lord. And it is is an honor to speak your your words. And I just pray that we can leave here with a, a servant's heart and chase after your will. And I just pray for the church as as uh, we're we're looking for our next leader. And I just I just pray you give. The, the elders in the search committee wisdom. In your name I pray. Amen.